Welcome to another episode of the Bucket Drop Podcast, everybody. The weather's warming up. And uh, once again, this episode is brought to you by One Call Plumbing and Gas Fitting. No job too big, no job too small. Residential and commercial, they do it all. For all your needs, there's just one call. 613-307-4080. A little bit of old news now. Trade deadline was last week. Just tell you who I think the winners were and uh, who I think maybe the uh, quote-unquote losers were in that. My number one in the deadline, the Edmonton Oilers. So they acquired Anastasiu from Detroit, and uh, they made some other moves as well. And last night, you had Dreisaitl with four goals. So uh, I would say uh, he's the big Johnson of the week. Uh, I would also say that the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, strengthened their team to make a push. So they got a familiar face in Connor Sheary, and they also brought in Patrick Marlowe for that veteran experience. And uh, the losers, in my opinion, would be, number one, the Maple Leafs. Sorry, Leafs fans, but I definitely think they should have made some moves. And according to Matt, he agrees. I think that they should have strengthened their decor, if anything. And also, I would say that Colorado should have made some moves, uh, just considering uh, how they got eliminated last year in the playoffs. And uh, one team that that did well, but obviously not for the playoffs, is uh, the Ottawa Senators. They uh, picked up a first and a second round for Jean-Gabriel Pajot, so uh, that's pretty impressive. They have uh, a lot of talent coming up, so uh, that's going to be an exciting team to watch in a couple years. And uh, speaking of the Ottawa Senators, I actually went to a game on Saturday night, and it was a good game as far as skill goes. Uh, You had Anisimov with uh, two big goals, and yeah, he scored in the shootout. So, I mean, who doesn't like shootouts? But I would say that, like I always say, there is missing some physical style to the game. I like the old-time hockey. Uh, there wasn't even close to being a scrap, but, I mean, it's a close game. So, uh, like, obviously, you're not going to take a, a, a dumb penalty in a close game like that. But to me, this new hockey is a little bit like watching paint dry. But I was impressed by the fans and the support of the uh, Ottawa Senators fans. So I've uh, crapped on them a little bit in the past just because I've been at games and I found the atmosphere was pretty weak. But for a team that is that low in the standings, uh, the fans were there in big numbers. And anyways, it it was a great weekend. Uh, If ever you stay up in Ottawa and want to go see a game, uh, the the traffic at the end of the game is kind of what the pain in the ass is uh, to try to get out of that rink. One good thing is if you stay at the Brook Street Hotel and probably at other hotels, they have this too. The game was at seven and we just took a shuttle straight to the game. And that same shuttle picked us up. You know, if you want to have a few beers, it's perfect. So six o'clock and then, and when the shuttle picked us up, I mean, we didn't even have to wait. Like, it was a bing-bang and you're out. So, uh, definitely suggest that. Brook Street Hotel is friggin' beautiful. I'm not doing a, an ad for that. I'm just saying it's a, a beautiful hotel and uh, definitely a good time. And uh, talking about maybe having a few beers, I'd like to thank our uh, sponsors, uh, Ruben Microbrewery in Cornwall. If you're a beer aficionado, always made with love. And uh, if you're near Cornwall, just stop in. Or if, you're, if you live in Cornwall, stop in. A lot of assortments of uh, beers. And uh, my favorite is the IPA, but a lot of good beers. I'm not going to waste any more time. I obviously want to get into this interview. So, guys, I hope you enjoy.
So, guys, I'm really excited about this one. My guest today played nine years of professional hockey, which five of those years was Sorrell. He threw with the best of them, and he could switch hands on a dime. Dean, either hand, Mayran. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bobby. So, uh, I like to start from the beginning because uh, your hockey path is a little bit different than some of our former guests. So, you played your junior C with the Kingsville Comets and went straight to the WPHL. Uh, your stats were unavailable for Junior C, so can you tell me a bit about how you joined the Comets and uh, what kind of player you were back then? Yeah, for sure. Um, I started late, and I wish I started early, but I started when I was 14 years old, and I played a couple years house league, played a couple years travel, and then as I grew, um, was able to hit and play a physical game. I got called up to play with the Amherstburg Admirals, uh, which was a Junior C team um, in our hometown, and then... Uh, Tilbury Lightning, which was uh, another junior C team, and then I ended up playing for Kingsville for uh, a few years. And Kingsville was a really, really good organization. And obviously, I was never uh, a skilled player, but uh, I like to stick up to my teammates and play a physical game. And uh, I believe I tried to be a leader from the from the very start in in you know sacrificing myself for the team or or work ethic and uh, just being there for the guys. Great. On and uh, you played your minor hockey in Windsor. Yeah, uh, Amherstburg, Ontario. It's about a half hour from Windsor. Oh, gotcha. And uh, you're obviously very active in the boxing world. And uh, uh, as you were texting back and forth, you were uh, you were in the gym a lot. So uh, what came first, the boxing or the hockey? The hockey uh, for sure came first. And then it wasn't until I got to uh, Quebec. Uh, it was actually genius of the people in Quebec. They uh, What they do is they take different heavyweights from the LNAH teams and they put them on a boxing card in the summertime uh, on the, like the main event of the card, and it was so genius because it it brought in all the hockey fans to these boxing events, and they were they were selling places out. They were selling three thousand five thousand tickets to these uh, to these boxing events. That's awesome. And uh, do you remember like some of your former opponents in those boxing matches? Yeah, for sure. I fought. My first fight was against Joel Perio. I fought him twice. I fought Bosse twice. I fought. Mike Barhog, uh, Jacques Dubé six times, uh, Derek Parker I fought once, Tice. Nice. And, like, was, was that weight classes or just a, a free-for-all type of thing? It was weight classes. I think uh, the only one that they made uh, they made an exception for was when I fought Tice because I think he might have been, like, just over 200 maybe or something like that. Okay, and I, I don't know if you shared that story on other podcasts, but that's awesome. I, I never knew about that. Uh, the Pilo T-Rex, that's uh, the first team that you played for. Uh, did they take notice of you from your junior C days, or uh, how did that come about? Yeah, that's actually kind of a funny story. So my coach, Richard Robchan, when I was playing in Kingsville, I think it was my last year, I was uh, I was ranked in the – uh, Essex County Hockey News as the toughest hockey player in Essex County, which they had the Spitfires in that and the uh, in that region, and then there was the Tilbury, uh, or sorry, the Leamington Flyers, and there was another couple of junior B teams and a couple more junior C teams. So it was a pretty big deal for me to be ranked that high with yeah. uh, all those junior B teams and then obviously the Spitfires. My coach, Richard Robchan, he ended up hooking me up with a tryout contract with Tuplo. I booked a fight, and away I went, and I uh, made the team. 
And I always wonder when uh, leagues like that uh, start off, like, do they hold a drafty tier? Uh, yeah, I don't think it goes like that. I think it's more they got a certain number of contracts already kind of signed and in place before training camp. And then you have a certain number of maybe walk-ons or trial contracts. But I think most of the team is pretty much set like before camp starts. And how was it living there? Tupelo, Mississippi was a complete culture shock. I'd never flown away from uh, Windsor before. And uh, it was was such a cool experience. I mean, I think I landed in Memphis and got picked up by – by one of the staff members on the team and just uh, just seeing the environment there and meeting the people and the accent and just that whole Southern lifestyle was uh, was just super cool at the time. And I guess a bit a bit uh, nicer weather than than uh, than Windsor, I guess, right? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, and uh, you started that 1999 season with Tuplo and uh, finished it with Waco. Uh, did you get traded? Yeah, it was, it was a crazy story. So uh, crazy first season of mine. My coach at the time when Tupelo left me unprotected in a trade because he didn't think anyone would know who I am because I didn't have any extensive, uh, you know, uh, major junior uh, background or, or any professional background. So he left me unprotected in the trade. And the coach of uh, Waco was from Kingston, Ontario, and he had heard of me. So he traded for me. And then my coach and Tupelo didn't want me to go, so he told me to hold out for a couple of weeks so they can get me back. And um, I ended up having no choice. And my agent at the time, he said, don't don't burn a bridge and not go to Waco. I mean, if this other team wants you back, they'll get you back mm-hmm. somehow. And and funny story, that, that ended up happening because Waco folded in the dispersal draft, folded uh, with bankruptcy or something like that. And then we had a dispersal, dispersal draft in the league. And Tupelo picked me back up. So I went back to Tupelo, was there for, I think, six weeks. And then the coach from... Waco got a job in Amarillo and traded back for me before the deadline. So I ended up finishing the season in Amarillo. That's crazy. And that league folded in 2001. Just, I'm not a geography major, but you know why it was called the Western? I'm just <laughs> curious. It, it seems like pretty central, right? Like, yeah, it does. Like, I think there was eight teams in uh, in Texas okay. at the time. Gotcha. Which was, and there was a couple from other leagues. Obviously, you got traded. Was that the first time in your life where you had to face off against your own team? Like, your, you know what I mean? Like, the, like a team that you had just played for? Yeah, and I don't even think, I don't think I had to fight anyone that year that I ended up playing with. Okay. I didn't, and, I didn't have, I didn't get that experience until, uh, until I, I played in uh, the Quebec league. Oh, gotcha. And, uh, any videos of that, that league are kind of hard to find. So can you tell me some of the names of the, the tough customers you faced in that league? Uh, Michael journey, Kevin holiday, Mike Varhog. Oh, he was there too. Okay. Yeah. Um, Oh, Marty Melnichuk. He's a tough customer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've heard of him as well. And Varhog, how tall is that guy? He's super tall, man. He's like six foot nine. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so I was gonna say you're a big guy, but I saw some fights uh, between you and him, and like, uh, like he he made you look small. How was the talent in the W? It was really good. Like it was, it was good hockey. I mean, at, at that time, I think you could have took uh, any team in the United League, uh, East Coast League, Western Professional League, West Coast League. Yeah, you could have taken any of the teams, and they could have competed against each other. It was all the, the same caliber. And the fighters got treated well in those leagues as well? Uh, I wouldn't say well. We were the bottom of the barrel. Like, not like anything like when we went to, when I went to the Quebec League. You moved north to uh, Muskegon uh, the next year to continue your career in the UHL. 
Uh, yep. the, league, the league was still operating at this point. Uh, did you get a better offer then? Or? Yeah, I did, and I really liked the opportunity to play in Muskegon because they had a really good team, and uh, it was close to home. It was only three hours from uh, Windsor for me. Okay. And you had a whopping uh, 355 Tims in 82 games in the UHL. At the end of your 2001-2002 campaign, you may or may not know this, but you already had graduated to the 500 club of uh, professional hockey. So uh, did, did you know that as well? Like, is that a, was that a number? No, that's a, I, 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 I didn't know that. Yeah, you actually had 515 to be exact. And uh, uh, that was just in 134 games. So that's impressive. So uh, in those two seasons in the UHL, that's what I was, I was wondering if you were gunning for that big five. But uh, I guess uh, like, are, are those numbers important to players? It, it, they are to some players. And I wish I would have, I wish I would have spent more time taking more penalties. My uh, my grandpa growing up, and he was real proud of me playing pro hockey, and he always, his advice was never take a two-minute, never put your team down. And he didn't understand uh, the role of enforcer. And so I, I actually I listened to him, and if I was sent on the ice, I would, I would just get a five-minute major and never put my team down. Where as a tough guy, I learned this in the Quebec League, you have to be menacing. You've got to be out there causing trouble. And if you take a bunch of two-minute penalties, so so be it. You've got to create that fear in uh, in the other team. And sometimes that means, you know, a cross-check or a dirty hit or, you know, roughing up uh, players that are, that are, you know, hitting a lot or whatever. You got you got to stir the pot, and sometimes that means taking it too. Yeah, and uh, I completely agree. And uh, one guy, uh, Chris Bucci, he's uh, he lives in Cornwall actually. Uh, he just got celebrated in the LNAH this year. He's a leader in the in the penalty uh, minute department. I, I guess it's kind of like a badge of honor, I guess. Well, one hundred percent. He played he's played pro hockey for a long time. Yeah, I know. I played against him. I think I actually may have fought him a time or two i'm not sure but uh yeah, <laughs> yeah he uh he played for a long time hats off to him for sure and uh, speaking of the the uhl uh like was was the fighting caliber at a different level than the wphl i know i asked you about caliber of uh of hockey but like was were the two leagues comparable as far as toughness uh are you talking about the united hockey league and the western professional league yeah i'm comparing the uhl and the wphl no i i truly think there were they were pretty similar. Um, okay. Like back then, I was I was just getting my feet under me. Like I uh, I wasn't uh, nearly the staffer that I turned out to be in in those earlier years. I had struggled with balance, and uh, you know I was I was always a gamer, and I'd always show up, but uh, um, I just I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't have my feet under me yet at that point. It takes a while to to learn, I'm sure. And like I I told you before before we got going, like I. I got in five hockey fights. Well, I've gotten in a lot more than that, but I mean, like at uh, the federal hockey league uh, level, which it's not the same uh, as what you've played. But uh, I know that was one of my issues. Like I thought I was good with my balance on skates, but uh, the balance to fight is a totally different thing. Like uh, I don't know. I think I fell in every fight that I got in. So. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating too because you can be doing really well, and then you go to throw a punch, or or they go to throw a punch, and it throws you completely off balance, and then you're on your back. And I mean. A lot of fans that don't really know what their uh, what a fight's supposed to look like. If if whoever falls in the back, they find that uh, they're the loser. It's not really like that. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to be able to stay up and stay balanced when you're throwing heavy punches. No, for sure. And uh, uh, you ended up going to Saint John, the Quebec Senior League, followed by five seasons with Sorel, which uh, four of those were in the LNAH, which is still operating and going strong. And I actually had Brandon Sugden on the podcast uh, two weeks ago, so I know for a fact that. 
the enforcers were treated well in those days. And as you mentioned as well, I also heard a good story from Brandon. I don't know if you listened to that whole podcast, but one of the fights where I discovered Brandon is when he was uh, fighting against John Morasti. He had a big smile on his face uh, before the, the fight started and it was a long square off. And I said like, man, you look like you just love fighting. And then he's like, oh no, no. He's like, man, we were, we were buddies and we were, we were just talking about uh, which, uh, which bar we're going to go to after after the fight. So do you have any uh, kind of crazy stories like that? Oh, 100%. That that league is kind of... Con- People say that there was too much of a show or it was just a show. I mean, the fights were 100% real, but it, we, we like to put on a little bit, little bit more of a show in that league. So there was longer square-offs. And one thing that I really like about that uh, the Quebec um, NH is the fighters all had a, a ton of respect for each other. And it wasn't it wasn't as much like that in other leagues. Like we knew we were throwing down way more frequently in that league than we would be in the East Coast of the United League. So we had to have a code, a code of respect. And uh, and then on top of it, I mean, we were all fairly similar creatures. We were all geared the same way. So like three of my best friends in Quebec played for different teams and uh I mean we all hung out all the time and if we had to fight each other we fought each other and we went hard and that that was it like we you know still had smiles on our faces and you know tap each other on the head after and I don't know if you ever seen that I think it was uh I don't know if it was Pat Allard Ontario but like they got a they had a hell of a fight and uh then they pat each other on the head after I mean that's yeah. that's that's respect right there for sure. Well, Marassi had one with that with Terrio as well. Like, yeah, big high five at the end. So Yeah, that's super cool. In my mind, like, you're talking about, and they want to take fight, fighting out of hockey. Those are two warriors that choose to do that 100%. And uh, and they got big smiles on their faces, and they want to challenge themselves. And, and then they're, they're perfectly happy after. I mean, there's no animosity. It's just... Uh, they're warriors that want to test themselves. I'm sure you, you had respect for any guys that threw down with you, but uh, did you ever have a guy where you'd go for beers with them after the game? Oh, 100%, many of them. And maybe too many beers, but uh, that was, I mean, like like I said, we're all we're all geared the same and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of tough guys like their, like their beers and uh, yeah, we went for beers together often and oftentimes right at the rink, like we got kicked out before the end of the game, we'd have beers together. Awesome, and like I, I play men's league as well, and I know that like uh, you know you don't want to be a hero when you play men's league, but sometimes shit happens, you know, in the heat of the moment. And uh, I got in a fight with a guy a couple of years ago, and he laid me out, like he TKO'd me, and like yeah, we had a beer after. That's uh, you know it's not the same level, but I can understand it at least. Just speaking on that as well, like has is there any funny stories during a fight, like where like you know you guys were tied up and like talking to each other during the fight? One rings a bell. I was lined up against now one of my best friends, Jamie Linehouse, who uh, is a lawyer in uh, in Montreal and played in that league for a long time. When we were squared off, uh, they had me listed as six five in the program, and that was okay. ever since I played in Tupelo, Mississippi. And we were squared off, and he smiles out. He goes, "You're not six five. I said, "No, I'm six two and a half." <laughs> That's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. He was in the black and blue as well, right? Yeah, you betcha. But, we uh, flew there together. No way. That's awesome. He had some good goes in that one, too, man. He was like, I don't know how many punches landed, but it was pretty wild. I know which one you're talking about, too, and this, there's a good story behind that. So after my first fight with Derek Parker, he uh, he thought he won, and he came into the dressing room with the camera crew and was telling me he beat me and we got to have a rematch. And I'm like, 
you it was a close fight. You hit me with a good one, but I mean the judges gave it to me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you another chance. And no, uh, sure. they ended up leaving. And then he came back in like ten minutes later with the camera crew again. Like we're talking the big fuzzy microphones and and you know two or three cameras. And he's beaking me in the dressing room, and I had to pick up a metal chair. I put, I swung it I swung it like I was gonna hit him, and he he scooted out of there. And because so Jamie saw that happen, and there was a little bit of a lull in the three hour. Um, pay-per-view event so jamie started seeing dollar signs and he ended up making a deal with the promoter that he was going to have a grudge match fight against Derek barker and uh and they made that happen so those two weren't really supposed to fight he did it for a couple extra bucks oh really that's, that's yeah. crazy and uh, for any fans uh of hockey fighting that haven't checked this out uh definitely go i think you can find it on youtube i think that's where i got to see it battle of the hockey enforcers which is an event that was held in 2005 and and you were the winner so uh, congratulations on that and that was definitely a cool event and held on pay-per-view really really entertaining and uh i mean there was some tough competition uh you had parker scroy plenty of guys i can't even mention them all was that all during a day oh yeah it was in three it was in a three-hour window are you serious so so how many guys did you did you scrap i only scrapped four it was supposed to be five but uh, a couple of guys dropped out um okay. through the event i think link dropped out someone else dropped out so i only had to fight four times like that's crazy though that it was during a three-hour window i i keep going back to my friggin uh my little fantasy camp that i had there uh but one thing that blew my mind is that like some of these guys like like how they didn't look nervous has there ever been an, an incident where you were a little bit nervous oh i was like super nervous uh leading up to any any big uh big matchup that we were going to have like anytime we were playing Laval or Verdun or a team that I knew had uh, had a bunch of heavyweights. Um, it, it was always like a couple of nights before you'd start getting, you know, the, the lead up to that game, I'd be nervous. But it's a funny thing. Uh, the day of, I mean, even the day of, you could be you could be nervous. But like the day of and closer closer to the uh, the actual game it's like the calm before the storm. Like, you know, what's going to happen. You've embraced the challenge and there is a calm that comes over you and, you, and you're just ready. Laval back then was called the, the house of pain, correct? Yeah, it was, man, it was by far the most intimidating team that I've ever had to play against. Like I think my first game against them, they had like eight or nine legitimate heavyweights. Like if you played in the United League or, uh, the Western Professional League, there'd be one of those guys on a team. Like there was nine legitimate heavyweights in, in one one lineup. Like that was crazy. Like you said, yeah, there there were so many heavyweights, so you can't really prepare for who you're gonna fight against because you, you didn't really know going in who you'd be fighting, right? No, but when when I when I entered into that Quebec League, I uh, I I changed my mindset from when I was in uh, in the United League and uh, in the Western Professional League. I knew. I embraced the challenge that if I was going to play in that league and if I was going to succeed in my career, I would have to take on the number ones on every team. And just just knowing that, just making that decision made all of that so much easier. Because those times in my earlier career in the United League and Western Professional League, if I, you know, I might not get a shift for a game or two. And sometimes I was like, oh, I hope I don't have to play tonight. But once I got to Quebec, I wanted it. I wanted the I wanted the, the the toughest guys every night, and that changed the way I prepared, and it changed the way that uh, 
I thought. One thing about you is, uh, as I was saying in my introduction, uh, I, I called you either hand Mayrand. Was that actually your nickname, or is that just a sign that I saw in the Black and Blue Battle of the Enforcers? Yeah, that's just the sign you see at the Black Enforcers. To be honest with you, I didn't throw a lot of left. I threw a left at the start. Like, once I started kind of finding my groove, I, I threw a jab to start with a lot. Okay. Um, but then then it was mostly right. So I throw the odd little kind of left jab to uh, – to get them off balance, um, but like a jersey jab. But yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like John could throw pretty much uh, both hands. John Terrio, there's a bunch of other guys that can throw both hands almost the same with the same amount of power and switch up yeah. a little bit. I couldn't do that. Like I couldn't switch to left and throw the same power. I, yeah, I mean, I could if I had to, but I wouldn't have anything close to the same power as I'd have in my right. Okay, well, I think you're a little bit humble because I've seen some of the fights and you threw some pretty good lefts. But anyways, uh, so but speaking on that, like, do you, did you have a nickname? Like, a, yeah, they called me Dean the Machine. Dean the Machine, sweet. Okay, see, I should have probably known that earlier when I was saying about me being nervous. That's the one thing that I really appreciate about uh, enforcers, just that anytime, any place. I think also there's an intimidation factor about that. Like, if you're lined up against a guy... Uh, if you're squared off against a guy, he seems completely calm. Yeah. To me, to me, that like that that would worry me. If, if someone's really, really calm, they're they're confident, they're ready, and and you don't want that. You want them to be nervous. Like I don't know if you follow the NHL now, but uh, I find uh, Ryan Reeves is kind of like that. Calm. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, the, the other guys like you know shaking his fist. <laughs> he like he looks like he's uh, just another day at the office. Yeah, he's the destroyer in the NHL right now. Yeah, exactly. I'll go on another story that kind of made me appreciate that any time, any place kind of mentality. So in one of the games that I played, uh, there's a guy called Chase Tip, and I actually had him on my podcast earlier. And uh, I, I'm a guy that's pretty physical when I play hockey because I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm a plug. And I remember he came and talked in my ear and he said, hey, buddy, you better stop uh, acting a fool or whatever he said to me, right? And then uh, it's like, do you want to go? And then I was like, fuck no, are you kidding me? And like, you know, like when you're an enforcer, you have to go anytime, place, right? And then uh, I got back to the bench, and one of the guys on my team, his name is Chris Afnani, and I really want to get him on the podcast. He just kind of asked me, he's like, hey, uh, like, you know, like, are you going to go? Like, I'm like, are you fucking nuts? I'm not taking that guy. I'm like, I've seen this guy. He's like, he might be a bit taller than you or your height or whatever, but he's got this big-ass beard. I'm five-eight, by the way, and I'm just like, fuck no. And I, and I answered that to him, too. He's like, why don't you want to go? I said, you're going to kick my ass. And later in that game, I fought somebody else, like, you know, someone that was realistic. I think he was still taller than me. He was, like, six feet something. But someone who didn't weigh 250 pounds or didn't outweigh me by twice. Uh, but let, anyway. let, me, let, me say, let me interrupt here and just say this. Go, go, jump in. Yeah. Think of, it, think of it a little differently. Like, what have you won? What's that going to do for you? And, and how will that feel? Because, man, I've seen little guys beat big guys so many times. And you I have know. an advantage if you can get inside. And, and it's the mental thing. Like, if you can, if you can withstand and, and kind of wait out some of his bigger punches and slip them, very similar to how Morassi does, and then, and then come back with, uh, with power inside, I mean, you could end up looking like the hero. And it's all, it's all in your head. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, but that's why I'm, uh, I wanted to po- do the podcast just because I respect that that mentality. And you know, like people like uh, that aren't hockey players that are listening right now. You know, they might be like, "Oh, that guy's a fucking pussy." You know, like, but they don't understand once you're there, once you're on the ice. You know, it's easier, it's easy behind a keyboard. 
because yeah. they're like, oh, oh, I would have done this. Like I, like, I watch hockey games too. I'll be honest. I, I might have been like that as well. You know, when I was watching the Habs back in the day and I saw Lucic, you know, just uh, just running wild on the ice and just making our, our guys look like shit. I was like, fuck, if I was out there, I'd fight him. But it's it's a whole different uh, ball game when, when you're out there. And But just to return to that story, so this guy that was telling me, like, are you going to go? After he kind of, he said something to me where I was like, it stuck with me, you know, I'm not saying I, I ever applied it, but he just said, you know, like, uh, you're not always going to win as long as you show it up. Something along those lines. So, and, anyways, that guy, that guy's name is Chris Affinati. That guy ended up fighting that Chase Stephen guy. He ended up fighting him twice in that game. And this guy is like five foot six, and he and he did fucking good. But go go ahead, what were you saying? So yeah, even if you lose, the, the feeling that you that you faced that fear, and and it was something that you would never consider doing, and then all of a sudden you did it. That's a very liberating feeling. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, super liberating. But. I'll just say that I'm happy that I didn't face off again. <laughs> that's why I respect you guys so much, and that's why I do what I'm doing right now. And do, you, do you have any other crazy stories from the LNH? Like I was saying, the House of Pain and stuff like that. Like, it was it was the craziest league I'd ever played in. It was it was like uh, the wild, wild west. It was it was just the antics of the coaches and the players and the music and the beer girls and the environment and the, you know the bikers. The whole the whole thing was just was crazy. I mean, we were living a, a crazy life at that time. And being young, and it, it, was, it was one of the best times of my life by far. But uh, yeah, that that whole the, the concept of that league and what it was back then, it was it was nuts. I mean, it was uh, we were we were flying on a on a high all the time with just living living uh, living on the edge. Uh, I was mentioning you the story when uh, Brandon was fighting with John, uh, and they were talking about which bar they were going to go to after, after the game. So, did you ever go to this uh, famous strip club in Sorrel? I mean, I've been to strip clubs in Montreal, that's for sure. But I don't know which one he's talking about. I'm amazed at uh, how many strip bars are in Quebec. I think it's like, I honestly think it's like a, a admirable career choice or something. Like, <laughs> the dads are proud that they're. Their, their daughters are strippers. I don't know. It, <laughs> okay. it just seems like there's so many. I mean, everywhere you go. Talking about uh, crazy stories in the LNAA story, I forget which podcast I heard that on. Was were you around with that with that vegetable oil story? Oh okay. yeah, when they that that uh, that one brawl. Yeah, I was in that. I'm pretty sure I was in that game. That's when Pat Cote and Ryan Pizak, they uh, baby oil or vegetable oil. They uh, they ripped their jerseys off and they only had they had vegetable oil all over them. And man, that's it. You're in a losing battle to fight anyone that doesn't have a jersey on, especially with baby oil on. I mean, even even a guy with no no uh, no shirt on, you got nothing to grab onto, and they have everything to grab onto. You're it's a it's a lose lose battle. No, for sure. And uh, like, did some guys do that? Did, did some guys like uh, uh, purposely under their their fight straps just to gain that advantage? Yeah, I think I think Cote was uh, famous for doing it. He came out of his jersey a lot. But I don't know too many other guys that did it. Yeah, that brawl was uh, was nuts. They had Lambert's jersey. Uh, they had a, a practice jersey with Lambert's name on the back hanging on their bench when we went out for warm-up. Oh, yeah, that's he, crazy. He, he was shitting bricks. That's crazy. And uh, obviously, uh, I'm talking about uh, the fighting a lot and stuff like that, but uh, did you have a favorite player uh, growing up or in a favorite team? Well, we uh, growing up in Windsor, Ontario, uh, Amherstburg, Ontario, uh, Detroit was right across the, the border, so um, Detroit Red Wings were my team. Stevie Y was my favorite player. I mean, I had other favorite players, obviously, uh, Probert and guys like uh, Lynn Dross, even Fedorov. Right on. And uh, do you follow uh, the NHL at all these days? No. 
I I really don't. Uh, the game's changed so much. It's, a, it's almost embarrassing to watch. I mean, uh, there's skill, and and I love this. I love watching uh, Sidney Crosby and uh, and Ovechkin. I mean, uh, those guys are incredible players, and they're warriors. I like playoff hockey, but I don't watch. I don't watch too much. I'm too busy. I got too many other things going on. And like you were saying about the NHL, like I was at a good game yesterday, as, as far as hockey goes. Uh, I mean, I was uh, watching Detroit versus Ottawa, and uh, it went to shootouts. But I don't know. I, to, to me, it's just like watching paint dry sometimes during the games. Uh, you don't have many hits, and you don't have uh, the, the fighting. And like uh, they talk about it on Chicklets a lot, how there's you know the guys are are buddies almost, and like uh, you don't see that same hatred anymore. Yeah, the 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 past. I mean. Everyone knows each other from playing against each other or playing on the same team, getting traded. Like I know they all know each other, but uh, you, you still got to play with that passion to win. And back when I played, the best teams were the ones who finished every hit. That you wanted, to, you wanted to be hard to play against. You wanted other teams to not want to have to play against you. They you wanted them to dread having to come into your barn or having you come to the Bears because they knew they were going to have a tough game. That's what you wanted. Those were the teams that won. No, exactly. And, like, it's, it's less about playing for the crest on the jersey. Yeah, playing for the money. Speaking on that, you're saying that you got a lot going on. Do you run a boxing gym right now? Yeah, myself and three partners um, opened a boxing club back in uh, August of uh, 2019. And uh, that's I'm a seven on, seven off shift, so when I'm on – uh, on my shift, I stay up at camp uh, up in Cold Lake, and uh, days off, I run the Boston Club. That's awesome, man. And uh, can you just remind me of your work? Because uh, you work in engineering, right? I'm a power, power engineer, yeah. Okay, that's awesome. A smart guy, too, so uh, some guys get it all, eh? He can beat the shit out of me with either hand, so uh, don't tell me you play piano, too. No, absolutely not. I wouldn't call myself smart by any means. If, you know, I always say I'm not very smart, but I'm resourceful. If you're not smart, you better be resourceful. That's awesome. So it's maybe what hockey taught you, right? You just uh, you got to keep digging in that. One hundred percent. One thing that uh, one thing I always tell my uh, my clients at the gym, the students at the gym, my daughters. I mean, you can uh, you can achieve anything you want to put your mind to. You just gotta you gotta be obsessed about it. You gotta go to bed thinking about it. You gotta wake up thinking about it, and you really can. I mean, there's so many doubters out there. And people are going to tell you you can't do it. Use that as fuel. Use that as fuel and keep pushing. Find some ridiculous goal, something that seems impossible, something that's powerful enough to to get you out of bed in the morning, to wake you up at four o'clock or five o'clock, or whatever you got to do to make that happen. If you put one foot in front of the other for that one thing, you'll get it. You'll get there. That's a really good lesson. And you're only 42, so do you still play? Yeah, I uh, I play. Uh, league hockey here in uh in cold lakes just a beer league but it's actually a really good caliber league i just it's unfortunate with my shift schedule so i'm up at, up at camp for a week so i have to miss all those games that we have and then when i'm off shift i mean if we're we're open every night at the boxing club so i have to miss games there so i don't get to play a lot maybe uh you know two or three games a month maybe okay right on so i've spoken enough now so uh do you have anything that you want to add uh, about boxing or hockey uh, or uh, maybe plug your boxing club in there yeah titan's boxing club in uh in cold lake uh it's a real pleasure to finally be able to do this. Uh, it's been a dream of mine for a long time, and uh, it's to, to watch kids come in and uh, and not know what they're doing, and you know maybe have self confidence issues, or you know even just uh, sucking at all the different portions of boxing. And then after a couple of months, you see them looking slick and looking smooth and gaining confidence and changing the way their body looks and 
uh, and getting fit and being uh, being on top of things, really. Like uh, having uh, you know a 14-year-old kid come up to you after the after the practice or after the uh, training session and thank you, and they're almost in tears with excitement. Like that's uh, you can't beat that. Being able to pass on everything that I've learned and give these kids confidence and give me something to uh, look forward to every day. I'm really excited to be able to give back that. That's really cool, man. And like, I'm amazed by everything that you've done in hockey, but uh, I mean, that's probably more amazing. Uh, all the, all the knowledge that you're transferring on now to the, this new generation. And do you have any advice for the uh, upcoming boxers and hockey players? Just going back to what I was saying earlier, like set your goals high uh, yes. and, and use whatever fuel drives you the hardest. I mean, whether it's doubters or, um, you know, if it's money or if it's, you know, changing the way your body looks or whatever it is, use that fuel uh, to drive you and, and pick something that's uh, that's outrageous in towards it. Because it, if, if, if everyone just coasted through life and did what everyone else told them, we live in a really boring world and you're going to live, you're going to be on your deathbed and regret not, not living up to your true potential. Appreciate that. And I think these, uh, these hockey fighting podcasts that are, are getting guys like you that, you know, like they're passing on this, uh, this knowledge and, uh, you know, like the, the biscuit that I listened to the other day and I know there's, there's many more. So I, I think that's awesome. And, uh, I can't let you get off easy, man. So are you ready for the interrogation? Give it to me. All right. Uh, you played in Quebec for five years. Are Putin's overrated? Yeah. How come? Yeah, they're just not all the cracked up to be. I mean, same old shit. <laughs> right on. Uh, favorite sports movie? Uh, Rudy. Rudy's the best. He's a... Hey. Hey. <laughs> no. Hey, what happened? Did you just watch Rudy? No. I did it. I broke up with him. Favorite hockey song? Um, Real Tough Cookie by Pat Benatar. Skinny or Shapely with it? Shapely. Mooch Mary Pass. Tara Reed, the redhead from uh, American Pie, and uh, Nadia from American Pie. Okay, um, I'll go Nadia, uh, and then Mary, Mary would be uh, Tara Reed, and nice. the other okay. one, the other one would be. <laughs> just, 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 just pass on the other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's her What's her name? I don't. I don't. I don't know her name. You're gonna have some. You're gonna have a tough time editing this one. <laughs> oh, and this one time at band camp, I stuck a uh, favorite rom com. What was, oh, um, 50 First Dates. How's that hot wahini nympho from Ohio, huh? <laughs> She's great. I dropped her off the airport this morning. Oh, come on. I need some details. <laughs> you get some boobies, some assy, a pull on your boy boy. Come on. Daddy, what's a nympho? Oh, the nympho is the state bird of Ohio. Oh. You're the state idiot of Hawaii. I, I like that one. And I'm forgetful like, like that girl in that movie, so, uh, you just won the lottery. What are you doing with the first million? Paying off all my debts. Right, babe. I just bought this truck straight cash. And I got enough cigarettes to last me and my family for the rest of my life. Come rich, yes! Someone leaves you a cottage in their will, but, but it's movable. So uh, where are you going to relocate it? Muskoka. Man, you're the second guy to say that. That's awesome. Have you ever been so, there? No, I haven't. I just I, I heard it's beautiful. Oh, it's stunning. I, we we uh, camped at Algonquin Park every year. Uh, Every single summer, it was an eight-hour eight-hour drive from uh, Amherstburg, Ontario. But that's uh, that's God's country, there, boy. That's awesome, man. And uh, you know, cheers, man. And uh, thanks a lot for playing along. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bobby.